Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com Mike. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thank you so much for hanging out here with me. It has been a minute, honestly, since I've actually talked to someone on the podcast. I get it. I've been doing a lot of talking to myself on the podcast. But I think for good reason. I've, If you haven't checked out the last couple of episodes, it's been me talking about kind of the state of sports media and some of the things that I'm concerned with inside of sports media. And, you know, throughout the football season, I, I do my football pod, and I kind of wanted to take a little bit of a break from just sitting and interviewing people. And I know that that's partially why House of L exists and, and how it started. But in the four years that we've been doing it, the podcast has also evolved. But I do like talking with people. So I'm, I have a few interviews set up with people inside of the business that I think you will enjoy, including I'm happy that you clicked on this particular episode because I think Courtney Cronin has done a really incredible job of establishing herself locally, which is a big deal. And now you're seeing her establish herself nationally. And I, I predict big things for her. Like, you can tell when you see her on Around the Horn and you're starting to see her on SportsCenter, like that sort of thing. It's the, I hope that she stays based in Chicago. I mean, I I don't, I hate losing good people, even when they go national and you're like, man, those people were here. And you look up and you see Nick Friedel or Malika Andrews and you're like, could could there be a bureau here? And I I guess the answer to that is yes, because Michelle Steele is here. She's someone I got to get on the podcast too. But Courtney's done a really good job of establishing herself, and it it's not easy, especially on that beat. The Bears beat is the city hall of sports. It is 
competitive. And everyone wants to try to get to that beat because of how many people are paying attention to what's happening on the Bears beat. But it, that's not what we really talked about. It's funny because we, I don't think we actually got to Bears stuff, like hardcore Bears stuff, until closer to the end of the interview, which is cool, which is part of the reason I like doing this because I can talk to people about all sorts of stuff, including us talking about our our common bond. And that bond is Jeff Dickerson, as it is for a lot of people who have covered the Bears over the last 20 years. I consider JD my peer, you know, like at, at one point he was actually my intern. But he he's he was my peer, and Courtney considers JD a mentor. And both of us having these like different relationships with JD at different times of his life, where we came up in the business together, like the covering of sports, we were doing it together. And I cherish that, like we were travel partners, you know, we we had to room together a couple of times especially during we we had to room together after Katrina in New Orleans and that was hilarious it was buddy cop show like we we're in Jacksonville we go to Shoney's together in the morning um I mean you guys know how I feel about Jeff Dickerson just a really really good man and hearing Courtney's point of view on her relationship with JD I thought was fascinating and I'm glad that she was open to the idea of talking about it because it's hard when you really love a person the way that Jeff Dickerson was loved it's sometimes hard to talk about them when they're not here so I'm glad that Courtney opened up on that we talked about a whole bunch of stuff and she's had quite the career you know, she's been in some very interesting, like her her career path has been extremely interesting because of the places and experiences that she's had and how it all congeals into the person and reporter that she is right now. So this is my conversation with ESPN's Courtney Cronin about her whole career, and it starts with us talking about how she made it back to Chicago. Million dollar question, right? Like, there's a thousand different places you can start with that, but, like, here to Chicago came right around a year ago right now after the late, great, amazing mentor of mine, Jeff Dickerson, had, you know, tragically passed away with cancer. My editors at ESPN approached me literally as I was about to start the process of trying to find a place permanently in Minneapolis because I wasn't looking to leave the Twin Cities. I had been there five seasons. I had established a life up there. And I'll never forget it. Like I got off the phone with a realtor I was going to work with. And my editor, my deputy at, at ESPN had called me being like, hey, we want you to move to Chicago. And I was like, well, like I'm, I'm just about to try to put roots down here. And she's like, no, 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 don't buy. Don't do anything like that. We want you to 
come to Chicago to pick up where JD had left off. And I remember that conversation, like calling my mom and telling her, like, I'm coming home after more than a decade of, you know, chasing a dream and just how emotional that was. So it was right around now a year ago. And then I started, I stopped covering the Vikings on a Friday. And then by the following Monday, it would have been like the 28th of February, we were at the combine. That's when I picked up with the bears and, you know, as every good story starts, you just jump headfirst into the deep end. You don't look to see how deep the water is and you just try to swim. And that's what I did in March of, you know, late February, March of last year. And I feel like I have gone from treading water to learning how to, you know, swim laps in the pool. If we're going to go on this analogy and I've, I've had a great time doing it. I mean, it's been awesome to be back home. I'm from Glenview originally, but I spent so much of my childhood in the city and to be in a market that I know, and that this is where I always wanted to be for my career. You couldn't script it uh, any, any better than this for me personally. So yeah, it's, it's wild to think that Right around now, a year ago, my life was completely different than it is now. And I wake up in my place in River North and I realize I'm not in Minnesota anymore. No, I, I want to talk to you about your experience with the Vikings. But I, I mean, we talked not too long after JD's passing. And I always wanted to ask you, was it hard for you because of the legacy that, that he left doing the job and the level of respect that he had, was there ever a, a moment of trepidation or because you had been mentored by him, did it feel like providence to be asked to try to pick up where he left off? Yeah, I mean, I was honored when they came to me because, frankly, I thought they were going to hire somebody in market. This is Chicago, after all. Like, you have a lot of talented people who are already here. And... I don't think I ever felt a moment of trepidation because I never walked in saying I've got to fill these shoes because they're massive. I'm a size eight and a half in women's. He would be a size 200 in life. Like there was no way I was ever going to do that, nor would I have wanted to because, you know, the one thing I learned from Jeff, like the one thing above all else in being yourself is being true to who you are, not trying to copy someone else's delivery on air, not trying to be something that you're not, not trying to posture that you know something that you don't. And that's what made him so good. He was so authentic. So I'm like, I'm going to be authentic to me when I come down here. And I knew that it was going to be, you know, I will say that the transition for me has been more seamless than I ever thought it could have. And a lot of that has to do with the people, the people on that bears beat, the people within that team. There's some really, really good people who, you know, could have looked at me and, and didn't have to be kind to me. You know, I'm coming in, taking the role of somebody who was a best friend to a lot of people in the, in that media room. And it couldn't have been, easier for me in that sense of feeling welcomed and feeling, you know, part of the group from a very early stage, because we had a really tight knit beat up in Minneapolis. And I was, you know, kind of the mama bear on that group where I'd organize dinners when we're out on the road, I would organize, you know, doing, doing, you know, lunches when we're at the facility and, and just little things like that. We, you know, we BSed so much together that you become family in a way with the people that you work with. And I was like, well, how am I going to fit into that here? And it's 
it's a matter of not trying. Cause you know what I mean? Like so many of these people have covered the team. Like I grew up reading David Haw, grew up reading Brad Biggs, grew up reading Dan Bernstein, like all these people that I looked up to. And I mean, on the radio side of things too, I mean, don't even get me started with like my adoration for Jonathan Hood. Like, I mean, that, that is my childhood right there. And so it's like, you come into a market where you're, you're, you know, it's like, when they say like, don't ever meet your heroes. Now it's kind of like, I see the other side of that, of how cool these people actually are and how they treated me and embraced me when I came into a market, given quite possibly the worst circumstances of being given a job, of taking a job, of earning a job. Like, because, you know, I remember I said this on the one year anniversary of Jeff's death. Like when I woke up that morning uh, back in December of 2022, kind of realizing what the day was and what it meant. It's like, my life is so different now than what it was a year ago. And this shouldn't really be happening because Jeff was thriving. He was in his early forties. He had built an incredible career for himself. He was an awesome father. He was an awesome friend, teammate, all of those things. And so for me to get to, you know, pick up where he left off, that's that's all I'm trying to do. And I I just I thank everyone who has helped make this first year less overwhelming than I mean, it's overwhelming anytime that you change. I've changed uh, cities. I've changed beats. I've, I've changed sports that I've covered. Like it's always you're always swimming upstream your first year. But this year has been about as seamless as I could have imagined this transition to be. And I'm thankful for it. If I can offer an observation as an old head here i think that it's partly it's a like i love hearing you say this because i feel like it is directly connected to how jd worked on that beat because when i started and then he soon started um after he finished school and all that stuff it was not as nice of a place like super competitive, and I think it's still really competitive now. I just think that people know how to do it better, that we can be colleagues who compete, but it doesn't have to be um, everyone's out at each other's throat. And I think that is, is directly tied to him and how when he kind of became one of the elder statesmen on the beat, he was bringing people along like he was making sure that folks would go out to dinner and you know, get his wine and stuff. He never he always made everyone feel like that they were included. And so I think hearing you say that the beat is very different for like from when I left it in 2011, that you're now in a place where that competition is happening. People are working hard trying to get stories, but they're they're understanding the human element of it i think that's a really cool legacy for jd to leave behind yeah and i think that that speaks to the nfl sports reporting as a whole because like those stories when people talk about like women and the pioneers and you know we get credit my generation of women for advancing it one step further but the issues that we deal with today pale in comparison to 
the women who were the first ones allowed in locker rooms and all things like that. So I feel like the entire game has changed because the people along the way changed it to where, like I've heard stories just about like what, how the locker room used to be with the bears where, you know, people would, you know, the double back, the triple back, like those are things that I don't know if they, it's not as malicious of intent anymore of like, I know that I'm trying to scoop somebody on, on this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, certainly baseball, totally guilty of the double back. Totally guilty. Of I mean, it. I've done it too. And I, I just feel like it, you know, the way that teams were covered when like newspapers were ruling the roost and the eighties, the nineties, the early two thousands, even 10 years ago, it's a different game now. And I don't know whether, you know, there are a lot of factors COVID and the way that we recover teams changed that, but the people along the way changed it. Cause it's not life or death. Scoops are important, getting information and getting relationships are important, but to do it at the expense of someone else, I see less of that outwardly now. And I think to your point of like JD, when he became one of the elder statesmen on this beat, that like you take on a role where you kind of set the tone of what's going to happen. Like, what's the standard? Are we going to, can I curse on this? Is that yeah, okay? Absolutely. Like, are you going to be an, is everybody like out for themselves? Are you going to be an asshole about it? Or are you going to be like kind and I think that you can be kind and competitive at the same time and not just be cutthroat about everything. And that like, that's, you know, in a major market like this, I get that that's hard for some people to adapt to. And and there's always people who will do things their own way. I've seen that up close my first year on this beat, but by and large, seeing kind of what the tone is among this beat and how close this group is, that's not something I was expecting. I mean, I obviously knew Jeff had, a huge presence here and kind of what he established in, you know, making it light and fun, but also we're here to do our job. We're here to break stories. We're here to compete against each other, but you're not doing it in a way where you come across as, you know, a thorn in someone's side. How would you compare working in Chicago versus working in a market like Minneapolis? Opportunity alone. Like, I feel like this, like I look back at my life a year ago, I wasn't doing around the horn. I wasn't doing first take. I wasn't, you know, all of the things that just like being in a market where it's Chicago, that's a name. It's the number three market, I believe still in the country. Like in Minneapolis is no slouch or top 15 market, but the exposure element of the city alone and how, even when you have a team like the bears, who haven't won anything since the 1985 Super Bowl, like this team still carries weight in covering a team like that. It's not like they're ever really irrelevant. Even when the team has been terrible, <laughs> they've been relevant. And I don't know if the same can be said necessarily for the Vikings, because you're kind of in a bubble up there where, of course, they've got the twins who have gone to a couple AL wildcard games and always managed to run you know, into the a- Yankees. Yeah, like it's unfortunate the draw that they've had the last couple of years, but um, you know, again, they're a relevant team, but a six-win Vikings team is going to be more relevant than the Timberwolves and the Twins and the Minnesota Wild, and that's just kind of how it is. I think that this is most definitely a football town, but this is a far bigger baseball town than anywhere I've at least experienced because I think that the Bay Area is probably the closest other thing that you could call like a baseball town, but the Bay area is, you know, I was living in Oakland, San Francisco is a vastly different market than the East Bay where 
They don't care about the A's. Again, another team that ran into a buzzsaw in the playoffs. So, like, it's to me to get to see how different things are covered here where you're going to talk Bears year-round in Chicago, but you're also going to be talking about, you know, the Cubs and, you know, and the White Sox and baseball to a level that I was not, you know, privy to on a day-to-day basis because I'd been gone for so long. That's probably the biggest difference, I'll say, from, like, a coverage perspective in Minneapolis to here. But it's, you know, for for me personally, getting a chance to have a foothold with ESPN 1000 and seeing how loyal these listeners are, whether whether they're at a thousand, whether they're listening to the score, whatever, whoever has their shows, like people have their people. And to see the fan bases kind of gravitate towards these are, you know, these are fans of this show. These are fans of that show. Like, that's really cool to me to see how like everybody's kind of got a piece of the pie down here in a different niche. And I think that that's really neat, but also realizing that the scope that this place has like where, no, it's not been a great like couple years to be a fan of Chicago teams. And as of right now, I'm just praying and hoping that the bulls decide to hit the detonate button because I was Ah, really ah. looking forward to, um, you know, an actual team that was actually going to contend this year. And when I hear that Zion Williamson is going is clear to begin running. I start like getting cold sweats and PTSD to when I heard that last year with Lonzo. So like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a hard time to be a Chicago sports fan, whether you cover a team like me and don't have any fan ties to the bears or whether, you know, you're a Cubs fan and hoping that this Dansby Swanson thing's going to work out and wondering what the white Sox are doing and hoping that the bulls do the right thing ahead of the trade deadline. Like, it's cool to see the passion. I think passion exists everywhere, but like these fan bases here in a market this size where you have this many pro teams and this many pro teams that haven't won in a while, like it, it's a, it's a pressure cooker right now. And I think that makes it fun because that keeps the conversation going. Do you feel like you've caught up with the rhythm of doing first take or around the horn yet? I think so. I think with, with the, the difference in this stuff, and it's funny because like it can the the pacing can get you killed on those shows because with around the horn, and I just finished up an episode uh, earlier today where it's it's a twenty two ish minute show, so you better bring your points and you better hit all of them in about thirty seconds maximum before Tony's going to end up shifting the conversation because we got to fit so much stuff in. First take is radio on TV, which is what I love because you can belabor points. You can get off on tangents. You can do so many different things around the horn makes me better though, because I have to, you know, have all of my stuff that I want to say my points out in a row, have it memorized, not stumble through anything and make sure that I hit it in the right time, because otherwise you might not make your point clearly enough And people, you know, when they see something like that, like the other day, I made a point about the Joseph Osai play that if you go check my Twitter mentions, holy God, like that is a toxic place right now because they didn't hear the follow-up points that were made that I said it shouldn't be a 15-yard penalty because I don't think pushing a quarterback out of bounds should be a 15-yard penalty. But because it didn't happen in that clip that people saw on social media because you they move on to the next person and Clinton Yates, who went right after me, kind of, talked about, took my point on and then expanded upon it. Like you'll get crucified for stuff like that on TV or excuse me, on first take, it's, it's totally different where 
it's a radio conversation that we're having in a 10 minute span would before we hit commercial, which, you know, there's, there's good and bad to both. I really enjoy doing it though. And I love the fact that I get to talk about so many different things other than just what's in front of me, because I feel like as journalists and people as beat writers, we get so in the weeds on what we cover on a day-to-day basis that it's nice to kind of look up and see, oh, wait, there are plenty of other things people want to talk about. There's so much other stuff going on in the NFL world right now, other than Luke Getze coaching the senior bowl, which is an incredible honor for him. And hopefully, you know, puts him on the fast track towards becoming a head coach. But, you know, we've got the Super Bowl in a week. Like there's so many storylines with that. Jimmy Garoppolo, where's he going? Gonna end up staying in San Francisco? Like, are they gonna try to not part ways? Like all those things matter. And I think for me, getting a chance to opine on so many different topics and really keeps me on my toes to make sure I'm educated on what I'm talking about. Like that makes me, I think, better as a professional. Well, let me ask you about the the biggest story of the week that we're recording, and that's Tom Brady retiring. When you got the news, like I'm getting ready for the the show, right? Like I'm sitting there getting all prepared to do the radio show, and we had had like a bunch of stuff that we were going to do, and then obviously a lot of that stuff gets thrown away because Tom Brady just retired. When you heard the news, what did you think? I watched the video. I'm glad he got right to the point with it. I could tell that he got choked up, but there was a moment in it where you could hear just a little change in, in, in his, in his voice, in his tone. And you can tell how hard this is for him, even having done this a year ago and gone through the process of retirement. I love the way that he handled it though, where he said, and he only really get one shot to do the big video essay. And I used mine up last year. He got right to the point. And I just left it. I left watching that feeling a little sad because this is what I didn't want to happen. You don't, you never want the goats to go out having struggled their final season or kind of stumbling into retirement. The idea is to go out on top, to never look back, never regret anything else. He made the choice to come back. And yeah, this team was a playoff team, but that conference should, that division should have been relegated out of the NFL this year. No one's going to disagree with that. It was a tough year and the taste in your mouth, the aftertaste you have, if you are a fan of Tom Brady, if you're a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or if you just watch the NFL is that they got blown out by a Dallas team that, you know, ended up losing the next round, but that's what you're going to remember Tom Brady for the way that thing ended. Yeah, and, he, and he that, looked scared in that game. And it was the yeah, first time I had ever seen that with Tom. It, it just looked like, and I hate, I don't want to use the word has been, but it looked like somebody who had been, you know, through, he went through the ringer this year from his personal life to what happened on the field. And you got to think, I hope it was all worth it. But honestly, just seeing kind of the way that he exited the NFL, I'm just sad. I'm sad for the way that it ha- that it went down. I don't think he will end up unretiring now because you can't be the boy who cried wolf. I'm retiring. I'm 40 more days. I'm unretiring. I'm retiring. Oh, wait, it's not going to happen again. But in totality, you know, you can you can debate his career. And was he the greatest regular season quarterback of all time? Was he the greatest playoff quarterback of all time, all the championships that came with that. Did he have, you know, more pull and more staying power in new England than someone like Bill Belichick, all those things we can talk about till we're blue in the face the next couple months. But I think we can appreciate the greatness that that was Tom Brady and to be comfortable in your decision to say, 
I'm ready to go. I'm ready to leave to inform the team. I think it was six in the morning that he's done, not belaboring it, not trying to convince himself out of it. You know, it's the end of an era. And the end of, end of eras are always bittersweet. I won't say that that part's sad because I think we've got a great thing coming with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, all the young guns that are on the rise, Jalen Hurts. But it's always you're always nostalgic because you'll remember the great moments from his career as I will too. And, you know, we're going to be seeing it eventually with the next generation, um, you know, the, the next ones of that generation to retire, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, you know, remembering the good moments over the moments where they were clearly no longer immortal in their football life. What's a story that you covered? And, l- and let me make it before you got back to Chicago. What's a story that you cover that you're really proud of your coverage of? Hmm. That's a good question. I actually, the like, so yesterday was signing day and I know that that, that to me is a blip on the radar now, but in a past life, when I worked in Mississippi, I was there from 2000. It was my first real job out of college. Cause I had a post-grad internship at the NCAA in digital communications after I graduated from Indiana and I was there 10 months and then went to work at a newspaper. And I had been a broadcast, like my focus was broadcast. And I wind up at a newspaper doing video to start out. And I had to kind of fight for my opportunities to write. I didn't really become a professional writer until, you know, a writer until I was working at a professional, you know, a new a real newspaper that wasn't like a student newspaper. So the route that I took to be kind of doing what I'm doing now, which is, you know, certainly still the broadcast part, but writing is a big part of what I do. And it really didn't start till I got to Jackson, Mississippi. In my niche down there, how I fell into writing was, well, I'll cover recruiting. There's plenty of it to go around. I know I can make connections with these kids because I'm at every high school basketball, every high school football game in the Jackson metro area. Like that was my life. And so My last story, my last big story before signing day in 2016 was the cost of being a recruit. So I made contact with recruits of, and and, and the games changed so much with NIL and all this, like, just take your back, take yourself back to 2016 when it was completely different, where there was no early signing period there, you know, the rules were changed in February of 2016 to where they are now. So I interviewed recruits and their families of the five-star kid, of the kid who has two stars, maybe three stars, kind of like your, we'll call them like a mid-major sort of recruit in football, in the football world. I don't know if there's really like language for that. Somebody who has no ranking is just trying to scratch the surface um, of getting, getting looks from college coaches. And then kind of like the, you know, the one-off, the kid who gets a gray shirt offer to go to a place like Georgia ends up, you know, blowing people away. This is Jonathan Abram I'm talking about. And then ends up, you know, eventually a first round pick in the NFL. So the cost of that alone and just how people think, oh, well, if you're good, they'll find you. And like the colleges will take care of that. These are thousands of dollars that families of all socioeconomic backgrounds are shelling out to get these kids to camps to, you know, have them be able to to travel to be part of seven on seven groups and all and, and things like that during the summer. And that was one of my 
like favorite stories to tell just because I felt like it touched all different world, all different realms of this one big recruiting world that I did that I was a part of for like for a very long time. And I thought about it yesterday because it was national. I turned on ESPN. I was like, oh my God, it's national signing day. First Wednesday of February. I used to be so hopped up on diet Red Bull. Like that was, <laughs> it was but again, a previous life. Like when you're like 25 and that, and you can stomach that stuff before it literally rips the lining of your stomach. Um, that was my Wednesday. That was the when, first Wednesday of February for me. So I'm all these years removed where my ignorant self's now like, oh, it's signing day. I wonder what's going on. Um, that was, that was fun. Kind of like a little walk down memory lane. Cause I went back and found the story and you know, that's one that like I really enjoyed getting a chance to work on that. And I feel like my formative years as a journalist came in Mississippi, not only because it was my first you know, real job in journalism, but I built something I was really proud of down there because I was hired to build their video platform. This was a Gannett property um, at the time. It was when video was kind of really becoming an initiative. And I built something that didn't exist there before. And to be able to transition then into a writing role, but still have the video side to show like, you know, when I talk to, to students now about being a true definition of a multimedia journalist, yes, me started back in 2013, where it's like, I'm not going to be just one thing. You can't put these like, then you can't have employers put you into a box of saying you're just the radio person. You're just the person who's on camera. You're just the person who edits the video. You're just the writer. Like, I am so proud of my path when it comes to that. And I feel like I told so many different stories down there, whether it was, you know, I started out like I had no, and this is going to sound ignorant, but that's fine. Um, like Jackson, Mississippi for me was an adventure every single day. Every single day, because it's a it, to me, that was a foreign country because I grew up in the Midwest. I had no clue about what was down there. I had family in Birmingham, family in Florida, a little bit different than Jackson, Mississippi. My first assignment before I started in sports, it was the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Medgar Evers. I didn't know who Medgar Evers was because that's not taught up in Glenview, Illinois at District 225 and 34. No, no shade on them back then. I don't know if they do it now because I can't really speak to that, but I had no idea who one of the biggest civil rights leaders was in the United in the history of the United States until I went and worked with Jerry Mitchell who, on this project. That was an eight part mini documentary series I put together remembering Medgar Evers on the 50th anniversaries of his assassination. And Jerry was somebody who, um, you know, put multiple Klansmen behind bars like to get to work with like a legitimate legend, somebody who you know has done things that impacts the greater good of society. That's how I got my real start in journalism. And it wasn't even sports. So to get to do stories like that and tell stories of, you know, just the fabric of that state alone. Some people are like, why would you go to Mississippi? Like, why would you want to be down there? It's a backwards country. It's a backwards, um, you know, state. And, you know, some people treat it like it's a third world country. I am grateful for my time down there like I wouldn't be me sitting here in Chicago Illinois right now had it not been for the experiences and just putting myself out there to be like I don't know shit teach me like teach me from these experiences that I had a chance that was afforded these opportunities to go through in Mississippi whether it dealt with you know learning people from so different socioeconomic backgrounds, learning people who did not live any sort of lifestyle to what I was used to seeing growing up. Like, I am grateful and thankful that that's how I got my start and not 
starting in a major market um, and not having to ever have those life experiences because I'm better for it. Excellent. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I got a couple more things I want to ask you. What was it like covering Justin Fields this year? I mean, first off, I, this is my, he's the youngest quarterback I've, I've covered in the professional like level. Cause like Derek Carr, when I got to the Bay area, I want to say he was in his third season. Cause he was drafted in 14. I got there in 16. They hadn't won anything the first two years, but it just, I don't know. It felt different at that point. Granted, the Raiders had been, you know, lose on a bigger losing streak than the Bears had been at that point. They hadn't made the playoffs in forever. And actually that year they coincidentally they did. But for Justin being as young as he is, and never once there being a question that this is the leader, the unquestioned leader of this team. It's not like it's not like I saw him earn it this year. He had it from the jump. Like, and that's what I can really appreciate about him, especially going through a season that was trying to say the least. I mean, they're a three and 14 team. Their last win was a Monday night game at the end of October. And then to go through that 10 game losing streak to end the season and watch how he kept everything together. That impressed me the most. And I, I mean, I just wrote a story um, on where did he improve this year? Where does he still need to, you know, improve his game? Uh, what does he need to work on? All those sorts of things matter. And of course, when the Bears make their decision, ultimately by their actions, do they end up standing with Justin, staying with Justin Fields, which I think they will do. Um, or if there's somebody that is, you know, too good to pass up, or as Ryan Pohl said, he'd have to be blown away to draft a quarterback. I think you'd be hard pressed to replace what Justin Fields has brought to this team, but also brought to this city. Because there's one thing I know being from this area and like really being back the last year the the quarterback futility and how starved this team is to have that guy he's got every quality to be that guy having seen him up close and personal and some of the interviews that I've had with him one-on-one he's a very cerebral individual and it's not just the thing I can appreciate about him a lot of guys a lot of franchise quarterbacks the expression I use is that you cut their head open and there's a giant football sitting there in place of a brain it is their brain because it's all they care about that's all they can do they can't deviate from I'm the football guy I'm just talking you through you know no personality they, things they've like been that. programmed like from the time they're in seventh grade yes and Justin's shown vulnerability. Like I know in some moments he can be quiet up at the podium. He can mumble. Um, he wears his body. I, I can appreciate someone who wears their body language very, you know, very much on their sleeve and on their face. Like you can tell when he's not happy about how something went and that authenticity to me breeds somebody who can be here for a very long time because he's got a thick skin and having gone through the season he went through this year, knowing that, you know, he wasn't chosen by this staff. Like they came in and he was just coming off his first year and to prove 
his value to them to where you've got Ryan Poles saying all these incredible things about Justin Fields that lead you to believe that he is their guy. I, I think the sky's the limit for him. Like, and that's, that's a really cool thing to get to cover somebody in their formative years of doing something Mm -hmm. because so often, you know, if you're a franchise quarterback, if you're lucky enough, you are there for a very long time. And it's, it was different for me in covering Justin than covering Kirk cousins, even though I, I started like I'd already been there pre the year before he came in as a three on a three year, $84 million fully guaranteed contract. The first of its kind, it's a different type of guy though, because he had already been the guy, even though it was on a year to year basis in Washington, he was in his you know late twenties at that point, already an established guy already made a ton of money. And we knew what Kirk was. Anybody who tells you that they thought that Kirk was going to be a different quarterback than what he is, which is the ceiling for him is he's a very, very good quarterback. Is he elite? No, I don't put him in that class. We don't know that with Justin yet. And the unknown, I think, for journalists and getting to figure out who this person is, that's the cool part when you kind of get in on the ground floor, like, or, you know, as close to it as you can when they first get to a team. Did you cover Kevin Warren while you were in Minnesota? He was up there. I got there in 2017 when he was the chief operating officer of the Vikings through he left right. I want to say before the 2019 season. So, yes, he was there when I was there and um, I, I got to see every bit of how he impacted that franchise from the perspective of somebody who got to benefit from going to that stadium on a weekly basis to cover games to just how seeing up close and afar kind of from that 30,000 foot level and knowing people who were there every single day of how he run that organization from the business side. So are you, are you excited for the bears that he's in charge of the bears now? Is it a good fit? Oh my God. I mean, like they couldn't have made a better hire and that's, you know, I think back to the press release that was put out and the staggering fact that he's the only president that this organization has had that was hired from outside of the organization in its 103 year history you know two other presidents were had ties to george hallis and one was ted phillips who was hired from within after spending a long time in other roles before he became the bears president for the last 23 years that's remarkable and this is a charter franchise and knowing everything they're sitting on this off season with the prospect of closing on the land we've been told i don't know how many times but a lot that it could be by the end of the first quarter of 2023 the idea that they're close to finally being able to break ground eventually on a new stadium you have the number one overall draft pick like all this money to spend in free agency, somebody you believe has the potential to be your franchise guy in Justin Fields. Like it's the most pivotal off season in bears history. And I remember I was asked that question. I think it was the Monday after the season ended and Warren hadn't been hired yet, but somebody asked me that question on radio. And I was like, I don't know if I'm capable enough to make that declaration because I hadn't been around, but now having studied the history, especially the last couple of weeks of seeing what these off seasons have been like and talking with former players and people who have gone through this building um, and seeing how different it feels now when you have a heavy hitter to put it lightly in Kevin Warren, it's going to this, that anything that's gone on in Hallis hall and the, in the mediocrity that I feel like this team has found itself in for a very long time 
that's not going to be tolerated anymore from like just, and I mean, football result results on the field are a football thing. And of course, like one person doesn't fix or hurt any of those things. Like that's a collective effort, but from the way the organization operates as a, as a giving people the ultimate fan experience, making you proud to be a Chicago bears fan and the visibility of a charter franchise, that is going to be, a massive change for this team in the way that it does business given Kevin Warren's impact. Well, this was delightful. I'm glad that we got the opportunity to talk. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you either socially or out in the field at some point, Um, because I think you do a great job and I think you've done, um, I think you've done a really good job of handling what was a super hard circumstance and I think you've done it with a lot of professionalism and a lot of grace. And as someone who was also friends with JD, I'm I'm glad it was you that that you. you got the opportunity to step into the role. Thank you. No, I mean it's been it's been a wild ride this last year. And they tell you to kind of like take a break in the off season, push back a little bit, and it's still hard for me to process everything that's happened in a year's time because there really is no slowing down as you know, in this industry, it's go, go, go 24 seven. But I have been able to, in moments, like there'll be moments where it hits me. And I think the coolest thing for me just being back here is that I can appreciate the small things still like where it's like a random Tuesday and I'm driving down the Eden's expressway. I'm like, Oh no, I'm not here visiting. I'm going home. I'm going to my home in Chicago. My family's 20 minutes away versus a six hour drive away versus a four hour flight away. Like when I lived in California, like it's little things like that, that'll never get old driving to soldier field on game day being like, okay, I'm riding along the lakefront right now. This is the place where I always wanted to be. And I hope I never lose sight of that because that's what that's what I've been chasing for my entire career is to get here, to be home. And they, I know people say, oh, you can never go home. I, di- I beg to differ with that because I feel like I've been able to build a life for myself here in the last year and do it in a way that feels authentic to me while still with the newness of it, still appreciating all the things like the, the mystique of this place and this city that have not gone away for me just because I've gotten older. What I love about this interview is a lot of times, like you'll hear me talk to people that are inside the business. I usually ask their advice because I know that there are people who are young in the business or students who listen to this podcast. I always want the advice for those people and sometimes even old dogs like me you hear something you go yeah I should be leaning into that or I should be doing more of that I didn't have to ask Courtney what her advice was like she just openly gave it inside of talking about her journey and I'm really grateful for that I'm I'm grateful that she had time like she literally is so funny because <laughs> We're doing the interview, and I look up, and I'm watching her on Around the Horn. Like, she she knocked down her set and just came and hung out with me on the podcast, and, and I'm appreciative. If you should be following her, like, she's part of the cadre of people that cover the Bears that you want their perspe- their perspective on – what it is that the 
the Bears are doing. So you can follow Courtney on Twitter at Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y, R, Cronin, C-R-O-N-I-N. Follow her there and check her out on ESPN and ESPN Radio. She does incredible work, and I was glad that she had time to break it down with me. I've got more cool people that I'm talking to about different subjects. I'm, I'm, I don't want to say who the next person is that I'm going to have on the pod, but I'm working on doing a little bit more of this. And I'm going to mix it up. Like There's going to be weeks where it's a guest. There's going to be weeks where I jump on and kind of talk about things. So it's all the evolution of this podcast, and I appreciate you continuing to support it no matter what it looks or sounds like. So thanks. I'm also trying to do a better job of not like the postscript on interviews being so long that you're like, God, will this guy shut up? So I'm going to dip out of here now, but I thank you. If you missed the last couple of episodes, do me a favor and go back and check them out. Also, give us a five-star review and write a review for us. It helps because it helps other people find the podcast. It elevates us. It's a very strange thing, but it all has to do with the algorithm. So whatever help, if you want to help this podcast, I'm not even talking about like donations and stuff. If you want to help this podcast, give us five stars and write a review for real. Like seriously, just be like house of L is great. Five stars. It helps us. I'll talk to you next time. I Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.